Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us for the final session in the series, What Does the Divine Image Look Like? This class examines the central position of the divine image in the Jewish commandment of burial. It will also consider some of Rabbi Jonathan Sachs' teachings on the divine image, paying tribute to him upon his recent passing. We encourage you to ask questions either by unmuting yourself or by writing them in the chat box on Zoom or as a comment on Facebook. And now without delay, I'll turn this to Rabbi Zukier. Right, hi everyone. Um, it's good to have a chance to learn together. As, as Evie said, uh, well, I'd welcome everyone sharing, uh, sharing their screens if they're comfortable. And uh, also to echo what Evie said, the, the original plan was to focus on the mitzvah of burial, which we will do, um, but given, uh, given the passing of, uh, of Rabbi Dr. Lord Jonathan Sachs uh, over the weekend, um, I thought it might make sense to, to share a little bit of his teachings about the divine image, which something he wrote about a lot and which interacts, intersects with what we've discussed over the past few weeks in, in, uh, in, in what, by way of summation of our topic. So that's, that's the plan uh, for today. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll jump in and uh, I'm going to share the, the hand that is found in the chat. I'm also going to share screen so that we can sort of follow uh, together. Um, we're going to try to trace uh, the theme of Tzalem Elkim, of the divine image, is, as part of the mitzvah of burial. And uh, there, there's a lot more. We're not going to get, we're not going to fully cover this topic. It's really a huge question on how to interpret the psukim that we're going to look at. That biblical interpretation question is, is a very complex one. But we'll look at, we're going to focus on, uh, on some aspects of it, especially those that relate to the divine image. That's what we'll start with. And uh, it, it, uh, it begins with a couple of psukim in Parshas Kisetse, which I guess we read not too long ago on the other side of, uh, of Bracious. So source number one here, um, you should see on the screen, very short little passage, two psukim, if a person uh, has committed a sin that they're deserving of death and they're killed, uh, so you should hang them on a tree. Notice the order here. Uh, it sounds like the person is dead first, and then they're hanged on the tree. We'll see how I'll talk about that in a second. You shouldn't, lehalin uh, means to have something sleep, have something stay the night. You shouldn't have its, his body stay the night on the tree. Rather, you should bury the body on that very day. Why? This is the key phrase. Because a curse of God is hanging. and it's not exactly what that means, but that's the reason, it seems, the reason why you should bury this, uh, this body of this criminal who was hanged for, who, was, who, who uh, was given the death penalty and then hanged. You should bury them before evening because a curse of God is hanging. And this sounds like maybe a second reason. You shouldn't defile the land that Hashem, your God, is giving you as an inheritance. So we're going to try to figure out exactly what this, the, the second reason is pretty clear, although it, it may be, it seems to be secondary, this idea of not defiling the land, not having some, uh, the body out overnight defiles the land, fine, that, that means what it means, but it seems like the main reason is, the curse of God is hanging if you leave, uh, if you leave this person up on the tree overnight, and that's why uh, you should try to bury, or there's, you have to bury the body before nightfall. Um, and we're going to, aside from interpreting the reason here, it's also worth noting at the outset 
that this is the main source, this is the basis of the Jewish obligation to bury bodies, uh, period, but especially to bury them soon. Uh, we may, in America, we're not, uh, not necessarily as stringent about this as we are elsewhere in the world, but certainly in, uh, in, in uh, many places in Israel, uh, the minog is to, to make every effort to bury the body uh, as soon as possible, especially before nightfall, if, if that's at all possible. And we're going to see that also comes back. That stems from this pasuk. So we're going to try to figure out what this pasuk means and how it might relate to the divine image. We start with Targum Unculus, right? Unculus is translation of the Torah into Aramaic. Uh, and he says, Don't uh, let the body remain on the tzliva. He says, not on a tree. He translates the eights as tzliva. Tzliva means a cross. So there's a whole discussion as to what, uh, what Unculus is assuming uh, and uh, this idea of hanging on a cross as opposed to hanging on a tree, because, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like hangings happened on trees, not on crosses. We know from the Roman period, uh, in some famous cases, that hangings happened on crosses. So uh, Unculus is talking about a cross, but let's put that question aside. There's a whole other discussion to be had there. Rather, you should bury, uh, bury him on that day. Why? Because for something for which he sinned before God, he was hanged. He was hanged for the fact that he sinned before God. And you shouldn't defile the land that uh, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. That's, that's all the same as Hebrew. So the, the key line here is, because he sinned, uh, in, in a, he sinned before God, and that, that's the reason why he was hanged. So if you read it like Uncleus, the straightforward meaning is whatever this person's crime was, and we'll get to that in a bit, in a bit whatever their crime was, they, they, they sinned against God. They did something wrong against God, and you wouldn't want to hang someone like that. Maybe it's a reminder uh, to everyone of the person's sin, right? The goal of hanging people is, on the one hand, is a deterrent, right? One of the factors is you hang someone, you sort of, you say, this is, right, uh, this is what happens to people who commit crimes. There's a deterrent effect. At the same time, it seems that Uncle is pointing to the idea that you're also normalizing violation of that, uh, that uh, directive, right? If, if, if every day someone sees someone hanging and they know, oh, they must have violated this and that, uh, this and that uh, law, that shows that a lot of people are violating the law and that normalizes it. So maybe there's a bit of a balance here in Uncleus. On the one hand, you want to, uh, you know, uh, sh you want to publicize that, that uh, a person violated the law in this way. On the other hand, there's the, the, for deterrent purposes. On the other hand, uh, you don't want it to become too normalized. That might be Uncleus. That doesn't directly touch on our purposes, but contrast that with Targum Yonasan, uh, 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 also known as uh, pseudo-Jonathan translation, not actually by Yonasan, different discussion another time. He writes as follows. He translates as follows. Lo savis nivlas gushmei al kesa. Right, don't leave, uh, don't leave the, the body or the, 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 um, the dead body of his, of his, of his corpse uh, on, on the tree. Arum mikabar tikabrunei biomahu. Rather, you should bury it that day. Why? This is the key phrase. Arum kilusa kadam elaka limitslov givar. Because it's a kilusa, it's a denigration before God, or it's a denigration of God to hang a person. So that's, that already is striking. What is this idea that it's a denigration of God to hang a person? Why would that be the case? In this case, we make an exception. We hang this person because their sins cause them to deserve it. But still, it's again, it goes against the usual, uh, the, our usual approach, which is that it's 
it's an embarrassment to God. It's a denigration of God to hang a person. Umin biglal tibidiukna dashem is avad tikabrune im mitmoa shimsha. And because he's in the image of God, diukna is image, right? That's Salamuvidmus. He used the term diukna there, if you remember. Targumanosin used that term to refer to being in the image of God because this person was created in the image of God. You have to bury him uh, as the sun goes down. You have to bury him before sunset. Why? So people shouldn't be uh, make light of him. Right? They, shouldn't be, uh, they shouldn't denigrate. They shouldn't make light of this person who is now hanged and maybe also God. Right? It's sort of ambiguous. They shouldn't, people shouldn't make light of him. Is him the person who is hanged or is him God or maybe both? And don't defile with this body the land that God is giving you as an inheritance. So we see here uh, a fascinating reading in Targumionosa. We're going to see it elsewhere in, in different interpretations and, and chazals. But for now, this idea that it's a denigration of God to hang a person. We make an exception for certain uh, people who commit certain crimes. But we have to take it down as soon as possible uh, in order, because people are in the divine image, and in order that people not make light of him, of him, the person who's hanged, and or, or and or uh, make light of God. And notice that the, the, this term uh, where we have in the pasuk kilalas elokim talui. And what exactly kilalas means a curse. How do we understand it? So at first, it seems like it's translated twice in in uh, in Targum Yonason here. Number one, kilusa to make light to denigrate, and then number two, the la yikilin. Uh, again, similar similar meaning, but with a different a, a, a deployed for a different purpose. That uh, uh, that people not make light. So this idea that God, uh, it's 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 a denigration of God to hang a person, and we don't want people denigrating God uh, when they see a person who's hanged. And he it directly invokes this idea of Salam Elokim that people are created in the divine image. Even this uh, this uh, criminal, this person who did these terrible things, uh, and you're 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 going to hang them because of their crimes. Still. The fact is that this person is in the divine image, and we want to, uh, we need to give them that respect. We have to take down the body before the, before it's night and bury them. So this is the first invocation of Tzalem Kim here in the Targum Yonasan in uh, in a very uh, strong formulation. Um, pause now in case there are any uh, in case there are any questions. I see there's something. Um, okay, it's just a handout in the chat. Any any questions? Anyone want to discuss? The uh, Targum here, or just the Psukim themselves, uh, there's really a lot to discuss. We're only going to get to some of it. But any uh, any preliminary thoughts on what we've done so far? Okay. Um, if not, well, let's go forward. Let's move. Uh, let's take a look at uh, at Rashi. Rashi and Rashi, we're going to see, uh, is channeling Chazal here. Rashi explains, Ki kilalas elokim talui, right? This key phrase. A curse of God is hanging. And just uh, if you want to be a little bit uh, semantic here, if you want to argue about semantics, as uh, interpreting Bible often entails, so there's uh, this what we call the subject versus object genitive, or in in layman's terms, when you say a curse of God, does that mean someone who's cursed by God, or does that mean someone who's a situation where someone's cursing God, right? A curse of God meaning is the curse coming from God, or is the curse being directed at God? That is ambiguous. You could read it either way. So, um, uh, so far, we've mainly seen the approach, uh, well, so far in, in, in Targyonasan, and we're going to see this in Rashi too, it's the idea of being, of, of being a curse of God. This is not necessarily the simplest reading, um, but we'll let's see Rashi. Ki kilalas elokim talui, 
Rashi says, Zilzulo shall melechu. It's a denigration, not exactly a curse, but similar. It's a denigration of God, meaning it's a curse of God, meaning God is the one who's getting cursed here. How so? Adam asui bidmus diukno, a person is created in, in God's image, bidmus diukno, right? Bidsel melokim and bidmus elokim. So you have bidmus, you have diukon. This is the image and form of God. The Israel heim banav. So people are in the divine image. And the Jewish people are God's children. What is this? What's what's Rashi saying with this double formulation here? Mary, it sounds like there's two different levels. What does this echo? So on, on the one hand, he's saying all people are in God's image. And on top of that, uh, Yisrael, the Jewish people, are God's children. They're sort of an additional level. Rashi here uh, may be channeling, um, Rashi here may be channeling the Mishnah and Avos, Chaviv Adam Shinivra B'Tzalem, and then Chaviv in Yisrael Shinikorim Banim Lamakom. Right? Sounds like Rashi is channeling that idea. There's two different levels here. All humans are in the divine image. The Jewish people are the children of God. There's somehow this extra level, the super level of, of being uh, having this this uh, extra resemblance or extra connection to God that Rashi seems to be bringing in here. And this is how he spells it out um, with this Mashal. That uh, comes from Chazal, but it's really a powerful one. Right, this parable. Mashal It's like two brothers, Taomim, two twin brothers, and I would say maybe even uh, two identical twin brothers. Right, sounds like they're identical. Um, right, they had a, a diff, uh, They diverged. Their fates diverged. One of them became the king. The other one was a prolific robber and was caught and was then hanged. He got the death penalty. He was hanged. For being a robber. So what happens in this scenario, right? This person is an identical twin of the king. Everyone who sees them says, look, the person who's hanging here in the town square is the king. He looks identical to the king. It is the king. So that's the mushal here. That's the idea here. Because all humans are in the divine image. Jews are even more so. They're God's children, so to speak. So it's, it's just like you have identical twins. One of them is hanged. The other one's the king. It's a denigration of the king to leave this uh, this uh, twin, the uh, the the you know the uh, criminal twin up, and then Rashi explains of the zilzil. Anytime it talks about a klala, it's not only a curse; it's, it's also denigration. But this, this this powerful idea here in Rashi again, building on the idea of Samuel Kim, all humans are in the divine image. Jews are even more so, if if that's if that's possible, and therefore having leaving the Leaving anyone up, leaving and especially a criminal, you're you're having people denigrate God. It's a denigration of God to leave him up because this person is identical. They look identical to God. A very powerful idea in Rashi. Now, not all interpreters take this same approach. There's a few different ways to interpret differently. One way is to explain the term Elohim differently. The way Rashi and Targumanos understood it, Kikilas Elohim Talui, it's a curse of God. People will denigrate God if they see uh, this person who's in the image of God hanging. We'll see Rashbam takes a different approach. Rashbam says, people see this person hanging, who are they going to curse? Not God. They're going to curse the judges. The term Elohim can refer to judges, not only to God. They're going to curse the judges. Either the relatives of the deceased or whoever is going to curse uh, is going to curse the judges. 
Sometimes people get a death penalty for a minor uh, violation. They think they shouldn't deserve it. The Torah says you shouldn't curse judges. That's what we're worried about. So the longer you leave them up, the longer people are going to denigrate. You're going to curse the judges. You should take them down as soon as possible. That's a very different approach that has nothing to do with Tzal Elohim. Nothing, nothing to do with Elohim at all. Nothing to do with God. It has to do with Elohim. It has to do with judges. That's one way out. Um, the Chizkuni has a different ap- approach here. He says, You bury in the day of. So this first approach seems to be what we saw in the uh, in Unculus with a certain twist, where it, he explains the words as saying the person who is hanged is a person who is cursing God. What does that mean? It means that that's, that's why they're hanging. The reason why they're hanging, their, their crime was to curse God. So the talui, the person who's hanging, is a is a cursor, is a person who cursed God. The more you leave that person up, the more people uh, remember and are, uh, are, are reminded of the fact that someone cursed God, which is a denigration of God, a very different approach. Another interpretation. Or people will say, whatever this person's crime is, they're dead now, they, they already got their punishment, and they shouldn't deserve any more punishment. So people are going to think that maybe this person exhausted their punishment, which is not true. We believe that there's punishment uh, in the afterlife as well. So that's what the Chizkuni is pointing out there. And then the third interpretation, the same as the Rashbam said. People are going to curse the judges. It's not talking about God, it's talking about cursing judges. There are other interpretations here, but I think um, you know, other ways of reading Elohim, different ways of reading Kilalas, this idea of the curse uh, of God, and we'll see some more when we see the, the, uh, the Chazal uh, earlier uh, sources. But uh, I think the most, the most powerful and maybe the most uh, the most uh, important interpretation is the one that we saw in Targmionasan and in Rashi. And we'll see there's a variation of this approach in the Sfarno here in source number seven that will tie into some things that we've seen in previous weeks. Before we get to that, though, again, I wanted to uh, ask if anyone had any questions, anyone wanted to discuss any of the sources, um, put, or, you know, put a question in the chat or uh, do, it, uh, do it verbally. Feel free to turn on your videos. If we have any any questions, uh, I have a question. Sure. Um, do you think there's something specific in hanging that it sort of gets this focal point? And I guess I'm thinking of like we we do stone people as part of the death penalty in Jewish law. And I also was thinking in um, in Second Samuel 21, we have the the people who are impaled for crimes that were committed like before their generation. And I guess I'm wondering if hanging has some kind of like I'm almost wondering if it's because you can still see the likeness of a person, but it's distorted or something like that. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Okay, interesting. So first, we'll see this in, in a few minutes in, the, in, in Chazal. The idea, there's, there's, uh, there's a connection between being stoned and being hanged. So the way the, the Gemara says, or the Mishnah says, kol ha, uh, kol ha niskalim nislim. all the people who get the stoning also get hanged, according to one opinion. If not, it's a subset of them. So there is this connection and and... I think we see in stoning as well, there are certain moves that, that Hazal make to preserve the divine image. But I think the, the, the larger point we're going to see is that this is not really limited to stoning. It's really going to be a broader idea that all people should be buried before nightfall. 
again, we, that's sort of honored in the breach in the US, um, but in some communities, they're very stringent about actually burying people before nightfall. Um, and, and I think the reason why it comes up here is because it's really, it's like the opposite extreme, meaning in the case of hanging someone, you are in some ways uh, hurting, that, hurting their divine image or whatever that means, right? You're, you are hanging them, putting them on display, this dead body, and you might think, okay, well, in that case, in that scenario, we, we don't, we're not concerned with Selim in that way. And that's why the puzzle needs to say, no, even here, maybe especially here, we need to actually think about, about Selim and burial. But of course, that same principle would apply uh, everywhere else. So I, th I think that's why this case is special. I think we saw that in, in, um, in Targum Yonas on the idea that, right, that usually we wouldn't want to hang anyone at all. Here, this person's sins, right, uh, 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 caused them to be hanged. But even so, you absolutely can't hang them until nightfall. You need to take them down before then. And we'll see in the Mishnah, uh, the Mishnah's ideal uh, understanding is that really the person is only hanged for a minimal amount of time uh, to, to minimize any such denigration at all. Okay, any other questions or thoughts, reflections? All right, so let's jump back in. Um, let's jump back in with the next, the next source, the Sparno here. And the Sfarno, I think, is going to be a version, like a sort of variant, uh, of the Selim Elohim idea. So he says, Ki Elohim talui, this curse of God is hanging. This right, the term Elohim doesn't just refer to God, it refers to anything that's uh, some existence that's disconnected from material, some immaterial existence that's called Elohim. You know what the best example of that is? Or at least one example is the human soul, the intellectual human soul, which is the Tzalem Elohim. So again, we saw this, I think the Sfarno himself said this when we, when we were studying what is Tzalem Elohim. One understanding is it's your mind, the human mind. That's the one way in which humans are similar, at least at some level, similar to God. We have the capacity to think. That's not a physical thing. That's a spiritual thing, the intellectual capacity. And that's our divine image. So Kikilas Elohim Talui means the it's a curse to this divine image. It's a curse to this person, this person's personhood, to their intellect, to their divine quality that they're hanging. And that's why you should take them down. So this is almost assuming that Selma came instead of like Rashi and Targum Yonason who say, no, it's actually cursing God. Leave them up here. It's saying, well, no, it's cursing their Selma Elohim. It's, it's, uh, it's shifting the language of it, but it's the same basic idea. etc. So after death, he needs to make certain assumptions, right? If you assume the soul leaves the body right after death, then this wouldn't really be relevant. So he's saying, no, the soul remains in some form in the body after death, such that uh, leaving the body up is actually denigrating the, uh, the human intellect slash soul. That divine aspect of humanity called God, which is the human intellect, uh, that is that is what's denigrated by the body decomposing publicly. But that's that's as far as well. So he takes this idea that's about Selim Elokim, uh, and he says that it's not just it's not he's not saying it's a denigration to God directly. It's a denigration to the Selim Elokim of the person who's hanging. So again, a variation, but a lot uh, you get to a similar uh, point to what Rashi and uh, and the Targum Yonasan got to. Let's move now to Chazal, a few different sources uh, among, among Chazal from the Mishnah, uh, the Mishnah, the Gemara, and the Sifrei, all of which touch on this. 
and uh, we could spend a lot more time. There's really a few different uh, a few different block Gemara, a few different pages of Gemara that that focus on this issue, um, but we're only going to have a sampling of it now, and then we're going to spend the last few minutes uh, uh, thinking about uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, some of his teachings on this topic. So uh, Mishnah and Sanhedrin. So this is the line I mentioned to Zoe before. Call in Iskalim Nislin, right? All of those who are hanged, uh, sorry, all those who get skila, who get stoned, get hanged. That's sort of the, after they get killed through the process of skila, they then get hanged publicly. So that's his opinion. The only two people who get hanged are the Megadev, the person who curses God, and one who, who uh, worships idolatry. Only they get hanged. Can anyone guess why those two would be the only two to qualify for, for getting hanged? What's, what's special about them in this context? So um, we're going to see this. It's this idea of that we already saw in one of the Mepharshim. The idea of the cursing of God is hanging. A curse of God is hanging, meaning a person who cursed God is hanging. And it learns out from that, we're going to see the Gemara learns out from that, that only those who curse God, whether directly through cursing God or through worshiping idolatry, which is a form of cursing God, only they get hanged. That's, that's the interesting reading. So that's the opinion of the Chachamim. Rabbi Ezra, uh, on the other hand, says all of those who get stoned get hanged. Fine. Continue in the Mishnah. Find different ways of hanging men and women. Chachamim say, no, only men get hanged and not women. Why? Because the Pasuk says, If a man has uh, the death penalty and gets killed, then you hang him, but not a woman. That's the way the Chachamim read it. So that's interesting too. And one way, one way you might think of that is maybe um, uh, for some reason the denigration of the Tzalem Elohim is greater uh, for women in this context than for men. And maybe that's why it's not even viable, right? You don't even hang women for that reason, arguably. Um, and, you know, just I'll just note um, what probably many of us are thinking. It's, you know, we, we live in a world where um, death penalties are not too common and they're certainly not too public. Um, and, uh, you know, the world that Chazal we're in is a different, different sort of world. So it may take a little adjusting to enter the exact mind space of Chazal. Um, but uh, that's, that's what we're trying to do here and, and trying to draw out some of the principles that, that Chazal have. Um, fine. And then there's all discussion about Shuma and Shetah. Uh, giving the death penalty to women and whether his whole process was uh, was proper or not. Um, fine, let's jump to here. Rav Yossi Omer, Yossi says, Hakora, the pole, the tree that, that the person's hanged on, Mutala Kosel, it's it's sort of uh, leaning on a wall. Um, I'm sorry, uh, we should go back to here. Ketzad Tolin also, right? How does the hanging process work? Meshachin is a core of arts, you sort of stick the uh, a, a, a big a big beam in the ground. The eight Yotse Mimena, and there's little a little piece of wood sticking out, so it's like a uh, it's like a, uh, a gamma shape. I don't know. It's it's a straight line with something sticking out of it. And um, the person puts their hands one on top of the other. Tolo, so you hang them on this piece of wood. Rabbi thinks you you lean the the beam on the wall. But listen to this. I mentioned this to Zoe before. Umatirin oso miyad. You put the person up, you hang them, and then you immediately take them down. You immediately untie them, right? That's very odd. You hang them and then immediately unhang them. If the person stays overnight, over I love the low sase. There's a negative prohibition. It's usur to let the person stay overnight. So the Pasuk says, don't leave their body on the tree. 
but you should rather bury them because a curse of God is hanging. And now here's going to be one interpretation of this Mishnah that will explain what we saw at the beginning. Why is this person hanging? Because they, they, uh, they blessed or, or cursed God. Right? The reason why they're hanging is because they cursed God. That's what people will assume when they see this person hanging, and, and maybe for good reason. If you only hang people who either cursed God or did a Vodazara, so then people would rightfully think a person hanging cursed God. And you're thereby denigrating God's name because people will remember that this person cursed God. Right? Not, part of the problem of blasphemy is not just that the person who says it defames God, but that the fact of the, of the defamation of God getting out means that everyone uh, in some ways now sees God's name impugned in some way. So um, this reading of the Mishnah is a different understanding of kikilas kim talui, right? It's not saying that the very fact that a person is hanging is a curse of God. No, it's only if the person who's hanging is associated with cursing God, meaning that that's what they did. That was their sin, to curse God. That's the denigration of God. So this is a different reading of kikilas kim talui by the Mishnah, although we're going to see they're not mutually exclusive. You can have multiple understandings of kikilas kim talui, this idea of, of God, uh, a cursor of God hanging. That can both teach us that the person uh, who gets the uh, the punishment of hanging is someone who cursed God, and uh, and also that any time a person is hanging, that can that uh, comprises an affront to God. So that's the Mishnah, and uh, I see there's a question. Um, there's a question of uh, based on the the Svar, uh, I think it was a Svarno. How long is the soul attached to the body, or what percent of the soul is attached? How does that affect Trias uh, Hamesim? When the people are revived, so this is a big question that's discussed by uh, various achronim and philosophers. Um, I don't know if we need to resolve the question here. It's clear that there's some connection, at least until the body decomposes. And the general view, I think, is that at least one of the bodies that a soul had, if, a, if souls have more than one body, at least one such body will be reconnected with the soul. How that works, whether it's the same physical material or not, uh, is a whole debate. So we're not going to get into the details of that. But yeah, it seems that there's there's uh, uh, there remains a connection between the body and the soul, according to Svarno, Svarno right afterwards, and maybe presumably until the body decomposes. Um, at, at least some aspects of the soul, right? The intellectual parts of the soul. Any, uh, any, um, uh, any other questions on what we saw in the Mishnah or anything else? Okay, if not, then we'll go, uh, we'll jump back in to the sources. And we saw we saw the Mishnah. Um, okay, we saw the Mishnah. Let's take a look at a, a few. We'll see one line in the Gemara, and then we'll see a bunch of lines in the Sifrei. Uh, I think all of which are also quoted by the Gemara, but it's sort of a more efficient to quote the Sifrei. Um, so this this line, source number ten, the line from the Gemara that also appears in the Tosefta, a line that 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 uh, I think is the source for the invocation of Telamelokim in this context. Amar Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir says, "What's going on?" When the person is hanged, when this person who's in general, well, he says this more generally, but it's with application to our case. When a person is in pain, what does the shechina say? What does the divine presence say when a person is in pain? Uh, the shechina says, "Kalani miroshi, kalani mizroi." I'm feeling light, or I'm feeling heavy. Uh, maybe it's a, sort of a euphemism. I'm feeling heavy in my head. I'm feeling a pain in my head. I'm feeling a pain in my arm. Right, when a person is hanging, right? remember the hanging is you sort of hang by your arms. When this, when this is happening, the Shechina says, I am in pain at my head and my arms. The head presumably because the blood 
leaves the head, the arms because of where they're positioned. Wow, right? That's that's why that's the way the Shekhinah feels when a person is hanging. This is why we try to avoid hanging people and we take them down as soon as possible, says Rimeir. Very powerful line. Im came, hamako mitzta'er, al daman shel rishayim shenishbach. If this is true, and this is the case, what's our what's the mission talking about? Talking about a Russia, someone who committed some major uh, violation. Shenishbach, daman shenishbach. He's already dead. This person is is a sinner who's already dead, and still the Shechina or the omnipresent God, in in some way, kaviyacho, whatever it means, God is in pain by the fact that this person is hanging. All the more so, the blood of the righteous, and I would add, the blood of the righteous who are still alive. God obviously feels even more pain when they're in pain. They didn't just say that, Ella. And this, this answers Zoe's question from before. It's not just about a person who's hanged, where you know their body is positioned in a way that they seem to be in pain, and their screen is vain. No, it's, it's even broader than that. Whoever leaves a body overnight and doesn't bury it, over below Sase violates the prohibition of Los Sullen of Don't leave the body on the tree, rather bury it. They violate that prohibition. Right, so this is a super powerful line from Ruby Mayer. He doesn't say the words Tzel Melikim, but it seems pretty clear. Certainly Rashi and Targumyonosan and others took it to mean that uh, God, it's not just that there's some resemblance in the facial features, but it's almost like God participates in the pain of people uh, who are who are uh, you know, even a Russia, even a Russia who's already dead. The Shekhinah, so to speak, participates in their pain, feels heavy-headed, and he feels heavy, heaviness in their arms when this person is hanging. That's why we take them down right away. Presumably, uh, there's this deep connection, not, not only appearance, not only some external thing, but God actually feels, uh, God feels the pain of those who are, who are hanging. Um, I didn't put this on the sheet, but there's another Gemara, maybe a bit over 10 blot later, that says, whoever slaps a person's face, uh, I think maybe it says a Yisrael's face, it's as if they, they slap the face of the Shekhinah. That same, that same concept, that uh, you hit a person, you're actually in some way hitting God as well. So this, I think, is, is maybe the cornerstone, the key of this aspect of Salam Elohim uh, in this teaching. Let's turn now to the Sifrei. The Sifrei is the Menesh Halacha on these Pesukim. Um, and... Every line here is quoted in the Gemara as well. It's just a bit more efficient, a bit more compact to quote these lines in the Sifrei. Um, okay, so let's jump in. Source 11. If a person has a sin and they get to death, they get killed. And it has discussion about uh, the a man gets hanged and not a woman. Or Eliezer uh, disagrees and they have their whole history there. Fine, we saw that basically already. Right, you hang them. And then the question is, who do you hang? Yahweh, you call on this guy on this line. You might think everyone who gets uh, stoned gets hanged. No, it's only uh, when there is a, a curse, some a cursing God, then they get hanged. They find that we have a question of how much to learn it out from there uh, and how many people get hanged. Find that piece as well. But now let's turn to this. This is the key halachic conclusion to draw from here. How do I know? That anyone who leaves a body overnight violates a negative prohibition, violates an, uh, uh, a low sase. Tamil Omar, low sullen, if lost all eights. Don't leave the body on the tree. And now there may be some exceptions. What if you leave the person overnight for their own honor? Let's say there's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, uh, 
uh, what do you call it? The, there's no Arantafu, there's no sh burial shrouds, and there's no coffin to bury the person in. So you want to leave them, uh, you want to leave the body a bit longer so you can have the proper materials, the shrouds and coffin to bury them in. If you're leaving the person without burying them for their own honor, then there's more room for this. And this is the basis of, of uh, nowadays of taking often taking longer because we have, uh, you know, there are ways of keeping the body uh, from decomposing through refrigeration. And you want to have relatives come to the funeral and that sort of thing. So that's why we're more lenient nowadays in some places based on that line. There's a negative, uh, there's a prohibition not to leave the body on a tree. There's also a positive commandment to bury the body. What do you do? Listen to this. You wait until it's almost, uh, it's almost dark. And you hang the body. And you immediately untie it. And if you leave it over, uh, overnight, you violate the prohibition. The Gemara adds, you actually would have two different people. One person was in charge of hanging the body. The other person was in charge of immediately taking it down. Why? So you don't, you don't, you don't want the person to forget. You don't want to have any risk that this person so focused on putting up the body, they won't take it down. You have a different person whose sole job it is to take down the body immediately afterwards. So we see, we see here considerations of, it seems, of Tzalem Elohim, and certainly of God being embarrassed one way or another by this body being hanged, affect the din of, of Tliya, right? The Torah is very clear. It says you should hang this person. And, and yet that's minimized to the point where you put it up for a split second, take it down immediately. And if you don't, and you leave it overnight, you violate a big, a big Avera. So we see that this consideration of Tzalem Elokim has a real impact on our sugya. As we saw. So at the end of the day, as I'll give two reasons, and I think they're not mutually exclusive as to what we're worried about um, on the one hand, the interpretation that means this person cursed God, and that's why they got punished. And anytime you see them on the, on the tree, you're reminded of the fact that someone cursed God. That's one interpretation. And then the other interpretation is the Tzalmelokim interpretation. Anytime someone's hanging, that's a denigration of God because we are all in the image of God, whether that means physical image or whether that means uh, intellectual image. And, uh, and that's denigration of God to keep the body up, so you take it down right away. Uh, both of these seem to be applicable, and as we saw, the Tzalmel Kim idea leads us to limit this din in all sorts of ways. Maybe that's part of why it only applies to men and not women. Maybe that's part of why it only applies to a couple of specific Averis, but not the others. Maybe that's why you put it up only for a split second, take it down immediately. And certainly, it seems to be the basis of the mitzvah of Kura, both a negative and a positive commandment, not to leave a body overnight and to bury it, uh, seems to be tied to the nature of, of the divine image that we want. Uh, that we want God's image to not be left uh, to not be left overnight. Very powerful idea. One one final point on on this issue that complicates things a little bit. We saw Rashi pointed out that there's sort of two levels of Tzalem Elohim. There's all of humanity being in the divine image, and then there's Yisrael Himbana. The Jewish people are God's children in some sense, and that's why there's a greater sense of being in the divine image. It would seem in that in that, for that reason. So let's ask now the following question: Is there a mitzvah? to bury non-Jews or not, right? So, uh, right, so this is going to be a, a good test of, of Rashi's principle, right? So to what extent that some of Kim carries over fully or at least partially in this context. So if we look, we have to look at a totally different Gemara in Gittin. And again, I didn't include this here, but if you look like Sanhedrin from Daf Memvav to Mem Ches Mem Tes, there's a good three blot, all about the mitzvah burial, worth, worth studying uh, on your own time. 
Um, but for our purposes, we're, we don't uh, we don't have time for that. But we're gonna look at the Gemara and Gittin. We provide for poor Gentiles along with poor Jews. We bury. Uh, uh, sorry, umevakrim. Uh, I misread. We visit sick who are Gentiles along with sick who are Jews. The Kovrim may say Nachrim, may say Israel, and we bury Gentile, uh, Gentile uh, deceased along with Jewish deceased, Mipnei Dark Shalom, for reasons of, of the ways of peace. We want to have good relationships, we want uh, uh, mutual respect, and so whatever we would do for the Jewish poor, sick, and dead, we do the same thing for non Jews. Rashi points out, in Mesi Israel, Lobakivri Israel, Generally, Jewish Jewish uh, burial places should be separate from non-Jewish burial places uh, to separate uh, for for reasons of separation. I was asking about we take care of them of their bodies in Mitzvah Harukim in Yisrael. If they're found uh, killed along with Jews, you bury all the bodies of uh, uh, Jewish and non-Jewish. Um, and now, uh, and the Shulchan Aruch passes this as well. So it's fourteen. Cover So the tricky thing here is, on the one hand, we say that we do bury. Uh, we do bury Gentiles. Again, if, if they have no one to provide for them, right? If their family is going to bury them, then great. Uh, if they don't have family to bury them, um, uh, right, Jews would go ahead and bury Gentiles. But the reason is Dark Eshalom. It's for reasons of peace. It doesn't give the reason of Selim Elkim, which is, which is uh, interesting. And maybe this is an extension of Rashi's point. That they're sort of, and we've seen this in other places, there may be two different levels. There may be all humans are in the divine image. And certainly for things like, we saw this previously, the prohibition of murder. Right, it's prohibited to murder people because all people are in the divine image. That would seem to apply to all humans, and it's prohibited to kill non-Jews for that reason. Just like uh, you know, any murder is prohibited for that reason. But maybe certain, certain, uh, you know, certain additional things here: burial where the person's already dead. So maybe you know, any any person's tzemulakim uh, is decreased after death, at least on some views. Um, maybe in that case, the reason for burial is not the tzemulakim reason. Maybe it's only uh, only the dark Shalom reason. So there's there's a bit of a uh, a bit of a tension here, uh, and uh, you know it doesn't seem like it applies uh, fully. To, even though Rashi said some like him applies to all people, but maybe there's an additional level that's required here for the mitzvah of burial to kick in that applies uh, to Jews but not to non-Jews. And we'll address that uh, in in a couple of minutes when we look at some of, of Rabbi Sachs's teachings. Um, before we jump into that, any questions on this whole section about the mitzvah of burial? And the interpreting this pasuk of of uh, Baltalin of not leaving a body overnight and how this all plays out. Um, let's see. <clears throat> okay, one person pointing out why should Hashem feel pain for a rasha, right? And yet we do. We do have this idea that we uh, that we uh, we uh, do feel pain for the rasha, as the Gemara pointed out, an important idea. Another point about women not doing it because of tznius. Yes, that is one of the reasons. But of course, tznius also speaks to the divine image uh, as well. Um, so it, it may be connected as well. It's hard. It'd be hard. It's hard to disambiguate those two points. Uh, any other any other questions or thoughts before we jump in to the uh, Rabbi Sachs piece of this year? Okay. Um, so let's let's jump in. And and again, I I, I should just say I was uh, very saddened to hear last night of of Rabbi Sachs's passing, and uh, he did so much. Uh, for the Jewish community and uh, you know both the communities themselves and for Torah study and uh, in, in so many different ways in Jewish thought um, and uh, the least we can do is in in a, in a, a small tribute to him talk a little bit 
about his own teachings on Selim and it may be particularly fitting today. I, I believe is uh, he's, uh, is his is his is his burial. So while we're talking about the mitzvah of burial, we're also going to talk about some of his understandings of Selim uh, as a way of of honoring uh, him and his his teachings. So first of all, I should just say Selim the divine image, all humans being the divine image. This is a very important theme throughout Rabbi Sachs's writings. Um, I only brought quotations from three of his volumes, but I'm sure I could bring from probably a dozen more uh, a place in his writing. It's really a central theme. One of Rabbi Sachs's main approaches in general was to take Jewish particularist ideas and broaden them and use them to understand more broadly universalistic uh, conceptions or, or tie them in to, to ideas that affect all of humanity. Salam al-Kim is obviously a very good way of doing that, right? As we've seen, at least on some approaches, and this we'll, we'll get to, but Salman al-Kim is talking about how Adam, how all of humanity is created in the divine image, but that's a Jewish idea. That idea comes from the Torah. Um, and so the, you know, I think what we've seen over the last uh, three, four weeks is there's really two different approaches to Salman al-Kim. Some have a more narrow approach. They narrow it. Maybe it's only Adam and a couple of other family members. Maybe it's only the Jewish people. Uh, maybe it's only men. And then there's a much broader, you might call a universalistic strain of Tzalem Elkim that sees it. No, it's all of humanity. Adam means all of humanity. We saw that in the Mishnah in Sanhedrin. That's why Adam was created alone. Uh, one of the reasons is to, uh, and, and, and every image of every person is slightly different. We all come from one place. We all have a unique nature, but we all come, connect back to God. Right? And Chaviv Adam Shinibar B'Tzalem, so many sources uh, indicate this very broad idea uh, of all of humanity being in the divine image man or woman, whatever one's religion, uh, race, uh, age, whatnot, everything that does, doesn't matter, we're all in the divine image. And Rabbi Sachs, throughout his writings, takes this uh, broad universalist view of Tzalem Kim. I think uh, generally, uh, it seems to be that, at least among the, uh, the uh, Torah scholars I've been exposed to, that seems to be the main view nowadays, although, again, we've seen, uh, some, we've seen conceptions that diverge from that, but that seems to be the the primary approach, the Derek Hamelach, so to speak, that people take in Rice Sachs uh, among them. So let's just quickly skim. We don't have time to do, do this justice, um, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll at least, we'll at least uh, try to examine some of his approach here. Source number 15, I believe globalization is summoning the world's great faiths to the supreme challenge. Can we find in the human thou a fragment of the divine thou? Can we recognize God's image in one who is not in my image? And the challenge of Selma Kim is not just to say, oh yeah, everyone's in God's image. It's precisely this question of the universalism. To be able to say, Selma Kim is not just for Jews, it's for all people. I can recognize that in all people. And I, a Jew, recognize God's image in one who is not in my image, in a Hindu or Sikh or Christian or Muslim or an Eskimo from Greenland speaking about a melting glacier. Can I do so and feel not diminished, but enlarged? To take this idea that we're all in the divine image, that doesn't mean that I'm less in the divine image. It just means that my conception of divine image has now broadened in that universalistic way, coming from a place of particularism, of our tradition, and seeing it as a way of, of including everyone. Uh, and again, he, he uh, in, uh, this is in Dignity of Differences of well, as well, perhaps the most influential single phrase in Western civilization is the verse in the first chapter of Genesis, let's make man in our image and likeness. What's revolutionary is not that a human being can be in the image of God. In other cultures in the ancient world, Kings and pharaohs were gods, a representative of gods. What's new is not that a human being can be in the image of God, but that every human being is. From its inception, Judaism was a living protest against hierarchical societies that give some, but not all, dignity. Again, this idea of the broad 
Selma Elkim, applying to everyone, not just the great leaders, not just some. That's a central idea. Uh, and then a similar point here. Uh, he says this also it would take some time, but this is also the basis of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal, endowed by their creator with unalienable rights, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. That's not self-evident, right? They take it to be self-evident, but that's the opposite of the view uh, throughout much of history that people are not equal. What the Torah recognized early on, says Rabbi Sachs, it took thousands of years until the Declaration of Independence and, and similar movements uh, of that time are uh, recognized as well. So again, it's, it's this, this very important idea that Selma Elkim is not about some people, it's about all people. It's a universalistic reading that's really uh, essential for Rabbi Sachs in appreciating uh, what the Selma Elkim is about. Um, okay, and, and now here in this, this is in Not in God's Name, which is about uh, op opposition to religious violence. Um, we'll see an angle of Selma Elkim that we've seen in previous classes. He says, he writes, by making the human person in his image, God has given us freedom, the freedom to do good, which necessarily entails the freedom to do evil. And that's the story of Bracious, God's pain and disappointment in Adam and Chava, in Cain, in the generation of the flood. They, didn't, they used their freedom to bring chaos. Yet there is never a hint that God might create homo sapiens without freedom. Right? Free God desires the free worship of free human beings. This idea that all human beings have to be free for this to work. And that's his idea of Samuel Kim, right? And we saw this, uh, I think, the first week. This idea that Selma Elkim, a part of Selma Elkim, it's not just the soul, it's not just one's appearance, it's not just one's intellect, it's free will as it connects to those things. The idea of free will is essential to the divine, to the divine image. Ray Sachs makes that point as well, and that's why um, God is, is sticks with the world as it is, despite all the failings. Gracious is a story of a lot of failings, and yet God doesn't change humanity. We remain in our uh, free-willed, imperfect image. Um, okay, and now another uh, sort of twist on this is that uh, the image of God is juxtaposed to the biblical idea that God has no image, right? it's sort of a paradox. Humans are in the image of God, but God has no image. We dealt with this a few weeks ago, right? How can it be? Everyone said, how can it be humans are in the image of God if God doesn't have an image? Uh, God transcends categorization. Were you to have an image, you would be this, not that, but that's not what we say. And then he quotes the Mishnah in, uh, in Sanhedrin that we just mentioned a few minutes ago, for this reason... Nivra Adam Yechidi, man was created alone to teach whoever destroys a single life is as if he destroyed a complete universe. For the sake of peace, no one should say my father is greater than yours. To proclaim the greatness of the Holy One, that a human makes many coins, coins from one mold, they're all the same. The supreme king of kings makes every human being in the same image, yet all are different. God resists categorization and so does humanity. Right? Humankind is also not, uh, not one thing. We're many things, but we're all in the divine image. And then you move from that to Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, because in the image of God, God made man. It sounds like it's the same as gracious, but it's not. Here it's not talking about how we, all of us, are in God's image. It's talking about how the other, how everyone else is in God's image. Again, this is part of the idea of universalizing, of applying broadly this idea of Salam Elohim, and um, right, a way of ensuring that violence doesn't happen like it did before the flood, but that we make sure to take this seriously, that everyone's in God's image and to treat others like that. Moving forward, and now to a recent, a more recent Parsha. Uh, God cares about the stranger, so must we. Abram invites three strangers into the tent. This is uh, yesterday's Parsha. And they're angels. Uh, Yaakov wrestles with the unaid adversary, says he sees God face to face. 
welcoming the stranger, say Hazal, is greater than receiving the divine presence. Right? So, uh, and then, and then he quotes the same Mishnah and Sanhedrin. Um, we all have different, we all are made in different images, but all of us uh, are representative of the divine image. And that means, again, the idea of, the, of accepting the outsider, accepting the stranger, welcoming people in, that's essential to applying the idea of Tzel Melkim. It's not just that we are all special. It's not just that we shouldn't kill others. It's that we need to bring in others and treat them with that uh, special status of Tzel Melkim that we all deserve. Now, what was the impact of this on Western thought? According to Rabbi Sachs, the biblical idea that we're each in the image and likeness of God actually is, uh, was uh, channeled by Kant. That's Kant's principle as, weather, uh, as well. Treat human beings as ends, not means. His, his, his Kant's kingdom of ends. Uh, and, uh, the, you know, they think there's nothing unconditionally good except for goodwill. The only thing that's good is goodwill. And we need to have that goodwill towards others, um, even though Kant himself rejects the idea that we can be commanded in these things. He accepts the, the conclusion. He accepts the idea that we need to treat other people well as ends in themselves, as having inherent value. For Kant, that inherent value was not being in the image of God. It was just treating other people well. But at the end of the day, he got to the same point that, uh, that Bracius got to. And this, you know, this again, Rabbi Sachs likes talking about Western thought and Jewish thought and how they, how they mix and how they work together and often how Judaism got it right first. This is a classic example uh, of that uh, point in his thought. And now we'll just look at one quick passage at his in the conclusion, the dignity of difference. He says he's argued that we want to find an idea equal to the challenge of our time, right? Our world of globalization we all can see everyone else, but we're all different than everyone else. What's the idea that we need, we need to respond to this? And he says, the idea is one God, creator of diversity, commands us to honor his creation by respecting diversity. God, the maker of all, set his image on the person as such, prior to our varied cultures and civilizations, conferring on human life a dignity and sanctity that transcends our differences. That's the covenant with Noah, this idea of universal human rights. That's the covenant with Avram and the path to salvation. All righteous people, of all nations have a, have a share in the world to come. That, uh, I think he's channeling uh, the Rambam there. Until the great faiths not merely tolerate, but find positive value in diversity, we will have wars. So we need to be able to value others, even those who are very different than ourselves. And the test of faith is whether I can make space for difference. Can I recognize God's image in someone who's not in my image, whose language, faith, ideals are different than mine? If I can't, then I've made God in my image instead of allowing him to remake me in his. Our goal shouldn't be to project ourselves onto God, but to allow God to be projected onto us and onto everyone else, to realize that God exists in all, in all humanity and not, not take that particularist view and say, well, we're in God's image and not others. No, it's to say we need to extend that to everyone. Talks about different areas where there's, where there's uh, uh, clashes, where there's, where there's conflict. And he says, can we create a paradigm shift where we can recognize that we're enlarged, not diminished by difference? Just like we're enlarged by the multiple languages, each with its unique sensibilities, art forms, and literary expressions. It's not about cosmopolitanism of being nowhere, but being rooted where we are and yet seeing value in others. And I think this teaching, maybe more than any other teaching, teaching of Tselem Elohim, how we should be proud of who we are, proud of our tradition that says that we're in God's image, but also recognize that that means that everyone else is also in God's image to treat them well, not just not just to avoid things like murder, but also chesed, to treat others well across the board. And that, I think, is, is one of Rabbi Sachs's core teachings, uh, this idea of Tzalem Elohim uh, treating everyone as if they have infinite value. Um, it looks like we have some questions.
Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so let's take some uh, some questions quickly. Um, okay, right. There's a challenge of having pity on on the evil. Sometimes it's unkind to good people. It's a, a fair challenge. I think God doesn't face that challenge. God is uh, is infinitely good and doesn't need to worry about uh, being too kind to those who don't deserve it. God can figure out the justice and, and sort that out. But there is still this idea of of everyone has some basic dignity, even though maybe in extreme cases people can forfeit it, but everyone has this Tzalem Elohim, uh, at least to start, and we need to treat everyone with the dignity of difference. Okay, Judy, it looks like you raised your hand. Okay, um, so okay, so you asked, someone told me yesterday, right, Fran said, there's a tzura of everyone, a form of everyone in Shemayim, in heaven of their ideal life. Our job in this world is to match that form. Okay, interesting idea. I don't, uh, I don't know if that, that's the same as Tzalem Elohim, meaning Tzalem Elohim means that humans are in God's image. It sounds like uh, that idea is that we, we all sort of have an ideal, uh, ideal life that we, we're expected to live out, or at least come close to it, um, which is not, not the same idea, but also a very interesting uh, and important, important idea. Okay, any other, uh, any other questions on either Rabbi Sachs or the beginning part? Um, okay, if there are no other questions, um, we can, we can, you know, we're, we're just about at time. Um, I guess I just should say, it's been a pleasure learning with, uh, been a pleasure learning with all of you, uh, and both of those who were here this week and those who were here the previous three sessions. I think we, we managed to talk about what is Tzalem Elohim, uh, Tzalem Elohim and issues of Jew versus uh, non-Jew, whether it applies broadly or not. We talked about that two weeks ago and also today in, in Rabbi Sachs, it came up. We talked about issues of gender, how Tzalem Elohim applies itself uh, to men uh, and to women. Um, and then today we talked about the mitzvah of burial and uh, in some ways summed up or took one contemporary view that very much takes the universalist view, the broadest application of Tzalem Elohim, namely that of Rabbi Sachs. Hopefully this is a tribute uh, to him. Next month, there's going to be a whole bunch of new classes from Grisha, one of which is going to be at the same time slot, uh, Sunday, 1 to 2, New York time, by uh, Rabbi uh, Sam Liebens, the Dr. Sam Liebens, who's, uh, I think, actually a student of Rabbi Sachs. He's going to be talking about uh, the Tzalem Elohim the, uh, more in philosophical perspective. This is more focused on Chazal. So everyone's encouraged to study that. And uh, more generally, we're all encouraged to reflect on our shared humanity, our Tzalem Elohim, uh, maybe you know, if we look at everyone else, every other human, as we look at God, um, maybe we'd, we'd find that we treated everyone else a little bit better. Um, so everyone with that uh, bracha, everyone should uh, try to apply that to their lives and, and try to enrich their lives by seeing God's face, as it were, God's image in everyone else. And uh, everyone should continue their learning generally as well. Thank you, Rabbi Zukir, for an interesting class series. And thank you to everyone who joined us today on Zoom, on Drisha Live, and on Facebook. We are going to continue our fall program tomorrow at 1 p.m. with the fifth part of a series by Dr. Shana Strauchik on the laws of Kashrut and Jewish-Gentile relations. In addition, we have many more classes happening right now. You can find out more information as well as the registration links on our website at www.drisha.org classes or watch live at www.drisha.org live. Thank you again, Dr. Zakir, for this opportunity to learn with you. 
And for everyone who attended, we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming classes at Drisha. Have a wonderful week.